An interesting and important court decision regarding Canadians who have left to go abroad to join up with ISIS. A federal court judge has ruled that Canada must work to bring home four Canadian men detained in Syria. Now, advocates for these men say it's about their rights as Canadians. But uh, there's a concern from a security perspective about what it means to bring these men back here, given the reason they left. Now, what is the likelihood that we could prosecute individuals here? Look, obviously, leaving the country to join up with a terrorist organization is a crime. We've charged people who have attempted to do that. We're in the process of doing that. But once someone's gone abroad, it's a lot harder for Canadian authorities to piece together a case, to pull evidence uh, as to what they were doing while abroad. But do we have any obligation to these individuals if they are indeed Canadian citizens? Well, joining us to talk more about this ruling and the dilemma it, uh, it poses, very pleased to welcome to the program uh, here today, uh, Phil Gursky is a retired uh, CSIS, Canadian Security Intelligence Service officer, uh, a terrorism expert. He's also uh, the president and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consultants. Uh, Phil, great to have you with us here today. Welcome to the program. My pleasure, Rob. Thanks for having me on. Right, we've been dealing with this for four years, right? This whole debate and dilemma about what to do with Canadians who have been detained uh, abroad. Do we have any obligation to to try to repatriate them? But what is the significance of this court ruling now? Well, I think it's huge. I think it what it said is that the government has erred in not moving faster to bring them back sooner. And I would have argued, Rob, that we should have brought the kids back a long time ago. You know, you referred in your in your introduction to the fact that these adults traveled to Iraq and Syria. For one express purpose, that was to join ISIS, which is a listed terrorist entity, according to the government of Canada. Their children didn't make that choice. They were dragged along with their parents. So we should have gotten them out a lot sooner. But, you know, there's so many questions surrounding this, Rob, which you alluded to, you know, with the evidence, the prosecution and things. And I think if you were to poll most Canadians, in all honesty, do they think we should pay taxpayers money to um, repatriate our fellow citizens who thought joining Islamic State a heinous terrorist group that, get, that has killed tens of thousands of people, that we should use the taxpayers' dollar to do that? I'm pretty sure you'd have an overwhelming majority saying the answer is no. I suspect you're right. I mean, part of the challenge, too, is that, you know, our, our, our allies over there, the Kurds who have been uh, fighting ISIS, you know, it's, it's been a challenge for them uh, to keep all of these prisoners. And I guess so there's a concern if... if Sorry, not sure what that noise is. There's a concern that, you know, if, if they're not able to prosecute these cases, that, you know, some of these individuals are, are just going to walk. Well, I, I think that's the big issue is that, I, you know, the Kurds have been asking a lot of countries, including Canada, to bring their people back. Because you're right, they, they, there's, Rob, upwards of 40,000 people joined ISIS from over 100 countries, including Canada. So the, the workload on the Kurds has been enormous. And as you're well aware, the Kurds want to recognize government, et cetera, et cetera. So I understand their plight. But the point is, is that if we do bring them back, we're going to have to charge them with something. Or we, rather, we should charge them with something. And as you said, uh, joining a terrorist group is an offense. But in terms of what they did actually over there, um, it's going to be almost impossible to prove because the witnesses and the evidence are low over there. And do you think the Canadian government is going to locate and bring back Yazidis who were raped by ISIS or other Iraq, Iraqis and Syrians who were, you know, um, treated poorly by Islamic State? Of course they're not. So without witnesses, without evidence, you don't have a court case. So the cases are probably going to fail. 
So in all likelihood, bringing back these individuals likely means that they'll just kind of re-enter society? They will. And I'm going to go one further, Rob. I'd be very surprised if we don't see lawsuits in the, in the coming months and years where these individuals lawyer up and they sue Canada, the Canadian federal government, for, for not getting them out sooner. So in other words, I spent time in Al Hole or Hell Hole, as I call it, and you didn't rescue me sooner. Therefore, I want my millions of dollars in, re- in recompense for the pain and suffering that I suffered. They say nothing of the pain and suffering their victims suffered. And, and there's one more important point here, Bob. This is all about victimhood. And, and the, the, what I call the fans of these people have been treating them as victims. They're not victims. They're victimizers. They're, the victims were the people that they treated poorly. And that's what really, really bothers me. Okay. So what, what do we need to do? What's a reasonable strategy to dealing with these individuals? I have been arguing for years that we in Canada and other Western nations should have helped to set up courts in Iraq and Syria, if necessary with United Nations support or whatever, to set up courts that meet the standard of justice we're used to, try them over there where the witnesses and the evidence are, and then find them guilty. And then at that point, I don't know where they... To me, you should serve your sentence where your crime has been committed. And your crime has been committed in Iraq and Syria and Kurdistan. People obviously disagree with me, saying that Syrian justice is not the same as Canadian justice, and I acknowledge that. But, you know, Rob, you don't want to spend time in a Syrian prison. Don't commit a terrorism offense on Syrian soil. I'm not a fan of the Assad regime. But, you know, bad decisions have consequences. And these people made a bad decision to join ISIS back in 2014, 2015. Well, you're right, they did. I I mean, you know, as as it pertains to the challenge in prosecuting them, it also speaks to, you know, the challenge in... And kind of making conclusions, like if these individuals are, are, are going to claim that, no, 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 I wasn't, I didn't do anything bad, I wasn't with ISIS, I was just in the wrong place at the right time. I mean, how do we know that's not true? Well, we don't, but as I joked in the National Post article, Rob, this wasn't a sunwing vacation gone wrong. Right. And, and nobody has, nobody, none of the, the supporters of these people has given any kind of plausible um, reason why they were in Iraq and Syria in the first place. So they deny they're part of ISIS, but no one has said, oh, they were there on humanitarian grounds or they were on something else. Why else would they have been in Iraq and Syria in the 2010s? Because ISIS was known at that point to have had a caliphate. They said they attracted 40,000 people from around the world. So it stands to reason a reasonable man would conclude they went to the joint ISIS. No, it hasn't been proven in court, but in the absence of any kind of other argument to say why they were there, it's a pretty good place to start. Well, I know there were a handful of Canadians who did go over there to fight against ISIS, to fight alongside the Kurds, but, you know, would we be able to, to dissertain that? And I think that would be viewed much differently in a legal and security oh, I, context, I think so, right? and I'm thinking yeah. that Canadians that fought against ISIS wouldn't have found themselves caught up in El Hole. So El Hole is a sprawling refugee camp, I think it was upwards of 100,000 at one point, and those are people that the Kurds had picked up after the caliphate fell, with people who lived in the caliphate. If you were living in the caliphate, Rob, you were by definition a member of ISIS. Because ISIS ran the caliphate. So I don't understand where the confusion is here. Right. Now, do we have any idea of how many individuals we're talking about that, that uh, went over there to join up with ISIS might still be there or might be in, in Syrian custody or Kurdish custody? Um, that's a good question. We, I've seen estimates as, far, as, as high as 200, but I don't think that number refers only to Islamic State. So when I was at CSIS, we had Canadians join Al-Qaeda. We had Canadians join Al-Shabaab in Somalia. We had Canadians travel to North Africa to take part in terrorist acts. So I don't know what the number is. I've heard 34 are still there, of which 23 are being brought home. So 
the numbers are kind of fluid, Rob, because one of the problems is that as good as we are in security intelligence and law enforcement, we didn't have eyes on everybody. Right. So there are people that, that were able to get to Iraq and Syria during ISIS without our knowing about them. Now, some would say that's our fault. That's these, you know, do not have done investigations. And eh, maybe, maybe that's a fair criticism. But you can't keep eyes on everybody simultaneously. So, yeah, um, your question about the numbers is unfortunately one that's next to impossible to answer. Well, that's the thing. And, and it speaks to what a big challenge this is for, for CSIS, for the RCMP, especially now. If we've got individuals coming back uh, to say to authorities, help us build a case uh, or you know, keep an eye on these people and force like a, a peace bond against these individuals. Like there, there's a lot now that we're going to be putting on on the plate of, of security and law enforcement officials, it seems. Aaron Driver was on a peace bond, Rob, back in 2016 when he got in the back of a cab in Stratford, Ontario, because he had been foiled in his, his desire to join ISIS, and he was on his way to carry out a terrorist attack. So peace bonds are not perfect. Yes, ISIS and the RCMP can keep eyes on them, but they're already flat out going on all, the, all, all kinds of other files. And the bottom line is if, if, if ISIS does have intelligence on these guys, and I'd be very surprised if they don't, it's not evidentiary. You can't be used in Canadian court. As a consequence, these cases, as I said, are not going to have that bulk of evidence necessary to gain a conviction. And I, I w- I'm even predicting, I don't maybe predicting too strong a word, I'm fearful that charges won't even be laid because the RCMP, which is the jurisdiction, realizes there's not enough of a case there. It's going to be a big challenge. We'll see where this all goes from here. Much more at uh, BorealisThreatAndRisk.com. Phil, appreciate the insight. Thanks so much for joining us here today. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance (laughs) recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.